Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, our specialist place and environments teams work globally with architects, developers, cities, corporations, and governments, delivering successful human-centered solutions across place visioning, property branding, and strategic wayfinding and signage. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life from Lego to Skyscrapers. Today I catch up with the talented Deborah Bibby. Deborah has had a prolific editorial career spanning across the world, including 11 years as editor-in-chief of Real Living Magazine and two years as founding editor of Jones and Mr. Jones Magazines for David Jones. She has authored numerous books, including the originals, a book dedicated to her love for beach houses. Listen in as we chat about her approach to keeping it simple, rebelling against trends, and how her childhood experiences left lifelong impressions on her. Hey, Deborah, it's really great to have you on Design Your Life. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks, Vince. Really good. How are you? Yeah, I'm so good, and it's so happy to have you on on the podcast. So thank you for coming on. I'm excited and, and nervous. Sweet. And we're kind of neighbors, and we we live near each other here in on Pittwater, and um, which I kind of found out about reading about your beautiful book, uh, the originals, which we'll talk about in more yeah. more detail. But um, yeah, it was kind of cool to. I've I've met you before over the years, and uh, yeah. when we bought a place up here in Clareville, finding out that you lived in live in Clareville, have a house in Clareville, and you're living across across from it. I was excited when you moved in. I was like, "Oh, you've made the area cool." Oh, oh you cer- <laughs> you certainly did. Um, and and I get, I can totally see why you've lived here for a while. And uh, it's yeah. just a magical place, isn't it? Yeah, it's very special. Honestly, um, I remember the team at Real Living used to laugh about the hours. I ended up the hours that I'd spent in the car driving back and forth. But yeah, just found it irresistible. Yeah. I think it's for life. It's a beautiful life. And I and think I've mentioned to you for living across the bay now and looking yeah. back at Clareville, you can see why it's so special. It's the last place um, over on Pittwater that has that golden light when the sun goes down. It's like everything else goes dark and there's this golden um, light across the bay there. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty incredible. I I popped over to see you a few times in uh, in the boat shed. What's it called? Is it a boat shed? Yeah, boat house. Where you, boat house, boat house. Yeah, that's more less more shedding. House. Okay. Yeah, less shedding. <laughs> <laughs> um, the original well, house over here. The original, original yeah. house built. Here. And so beautiful. And I love your your boat. And you know, watching on Instagram. Uh, catching the catching the light and the yeah. people doing different things. It's just amazing, amazing. So, well, so picturesque, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit of an adventure. So you were born in Ireland. Um, obviously, we yeah. can tell by your accent, which is you know more <laughs> South African than Australian or Irish. 
I know, but but I don't belong anywhere because the accent doesn't translate into the country. Isn't it funny? I, I have the same thing. Whenever I go to England, people think I'm American or Canadian. When I'm here, same thing. Taxi yeah, drivers just take advantage of you wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> right. So true. So how did you end up in... Tell me a bit about your life. <laughs> um, how did you end up in South Africa from, from Ireland? Mum and Dad weren't allowed to get married because they were Catholic Protestant. Mum was from Belfast, Dad from Dublin. So mm -hmm. they decided to run away uh -huh. and get married. And they uh -huh. ended up in Rhodesia. And wow. so I have one brother that was born in Rhodesia and then mum and dad went back to Ireland to make amends and my brother and I were born there. And then they missed Africa and we went back and then ended up in Johannesburg, which I know a lot of people, you know, go, oh, you know, it's an ugly town. But mm -hmm. it was a really um, wonderful childhood, although a sad time in South Africa itself. You were, as a, as a child, or, you know, like six, seven then, you kind of, everything was censored in South Africa at that time. So you were in this kind of bubble um, and you never knew what went on as a kid outside of that. But um, if I had a brother who was, you know, quite rebellious and he, you know, he often got involved in the whole struggle and so that's why in the end mum and dad decided we had to move because the army was compulsory in South Africa mm. and mm. he was going to be a conscientious objector and you get locked up wow. so and I think having I mean I'm so lucky you know having parents that were Irish mum never believed in having anybody help around the house you know so we we were brought up differently within that environment wow I mean, they must have been really seriously in love to leave Ireland and go to South Africa. I know, I know. And it's so adventurous at that time, you know, yeah. quite scary. Because uh, mum was in those really, you know, 20. Like a, wow. a brave thing in those, in those days. But, yeah, they fell in love with it. And then, yeah, yeah. I remember when we were, came to move to Australia, we were, as kids, we were all furious. We were like, why, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. um, and we were... As all South Africans, we were put in St. Ives. And I just remember going, why not Bondi? Why not we Bondi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can no. imagine. I imagine he's saying yeah. that. Um, we've chatted a, a lot about in the past when we've caught up around, you know, friends and influences in one's life um, and, yep. and the influences in your, your life growing up as a kid. And you talked about a family in South Africa that were your neighbors you spend a lot of time with. Can you just talk a bit about, about, about that? Because I think yeah. that was really interesting how much they influenced you and exposed you to a whole new kind of world of, I guess, interiors and lifestyle and all that. Yeah, as well. I, I, don't think, I don't think you realize it until you're older, you know, and you look back. But you know, the family were an Italian family called the Nucci's. And mm. I actually met her at school. So when we were just out of kindy, and mm. they were a big family, family of six. But they, the whole family had incredible style, and the mom and dad were just this beautiful, stylish couple, impeccable taste. And um, the house, I remember her home, was just very classic. You know, everything was built in, like a lot of built-in furniture. So you'd open her wardrobe, and there were built-in um, drawers with boxes, within boxes, kind of like a ship, I suppose. 
mm. you know, like a, a building ship. And all the fabrics were beautiful in the house and there was a lot of pattern and colour, but really rich and considered and, and just their fashion style as well. And she would often let me wear her, or she would often dress me. And mm. I always got her hand-me-downs and I knew that they felt different on, you know, like they were little mm. ribbed knits. And the jeans felt different and the, the little swimmers were beautiful colours. And, yeah, it just, I think I, I realised then, you know, that, yeah. I mean, even though everything was kind of precious in the house and I knew it was, it's still, you were still allowed to jump on the furniture. So it was a really welcoming home. But I just, they just stuck in my head as this very stylish family. Um, and they bought houses on either side and, the sisters lived on other side, so as kids we could run amok through all the houses. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And they had a safari camp, and that was Jeez. really, really basic. So little rondavels, which are huts with thatched roofs, and I remember the floor was red concrete, and they're just little basic beds in there. But that being there with them as well, that was just so inspiring and, you know, brought you right into nature. Must have been incredible to see that at a at a young age, and how much that did inspire you and influence you, probably in, in the career that you've, you you went. Yeah, I think. So. Look, Mum was a stylist and window dresser of big stores. Oh, Dad cool. was a furniture buyer, oh, and wow. um, so I know they influenced me. But in that sense, that I had that. But this family, it was just like this other level. It was designer, you know. <laughs> mm. Um. And they had these beautiful long lunches. You know, the house was always full. And um, we were made to have, you know, really unusual food. And you always had a glass of red. So it was just a, a ten, you know, a glass that you weren't even questioned. Like, the glass of red was just put in front of you. <laughs> at, at ten years old? Yeah. I guess it's the Italians. <laughs> Italians are big on that, aren't they? Drinking yeah. from an early age. Yeah, it's just a very rich family, you know, in, in, in that kind of emotional. Mm. And so did, did, did they invite your parents too, or was it just you? No, just me. Okay. <laughs> and my, my brother's holidays, my brothers were left at home because we were schoolmates, mm. you know. So basically yeah, yeah. at school and we're still friends. You know, I think I mentioned, yeah, she passed away. So it was last year, um, which was very sad. But she, oh. yeah, she's. Yeah, fought a big battle. Oh, um, but yeah, a beautiful friend. And yeah, I managed to tell her all this. I managed to tell her how much her family oh, influenced good. me. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, you, you talked about the fact that they were form, had a Formula One background and one yeah, day you had lunch there and Nikki Lauda was there. That sounds <laughs> incredible. I know. And more incredible to you because you're a bloke. But I remember being a quite bloke. terrified. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a bloke. I was, yeah. <laughs> you're a bloke. I was yeah. terrified because he was, he'd had that accident. So he had this burnt ear. Mm. You know, Ouch. that melted ear. And, and as kids, we were just, you know, we were a lot about the ear. <laughs> I'm not sitting <laughs> on that side of the table. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be scary. But we knew, I knew he was a very special person that had come to lunch. And her dad had a Ferrari in the garage. I uh, just remember there was a lot of beautiful cars in that home, but he was 
um, very involved in Ferrari and had raced at one point. Wow. Did you try to get adopted? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm, I know they wanted to adopt me. Oh, mom, did they? <laughs> my mum was She's always very relieved. such a stylish relieved. young lady. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Oh, I think, you know, when you've got Here's your porridge. Everything... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sit down. Okay. Here's your porridge. Take those poncy clothes off. <laughs> Sit down. Here's your toast. <laughs> I get home into Irish stews. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> Which not I love. <laughs> but no, I was very lucky. I had a really happy childhood, you know, at home. Like at home, back home, we lived in these, um, oh, what are they called? Like townhouses all in a row. And there was a garden, a terraces. kind of flowed out of this garden. Not ter- they were low lying, not terraces. Yeah. But it was packed oh. with kids, right? So, like right. an apartment but not high rise, long okay. <laughs> running the length. And as kids, we just ran as a pack. So, wow. it, yeah, it was so much fun. And behind the houses was a soccer stadium and there was a, an area where all these black kids would play footy and we'd go and play with them. Well, not footy, it was oh, called soccer. Cool. We'd go and yeah. play soccer with them and eat millipop around the fire. And just, yes, yeah, as, as children, it was magical. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I feel really fortunate I've had that experience in my life. Mm-hmm. I guess we're going to try to fast track to your career, and you've had a prolific career in the world of publications, magazines. Yeah. Was that was that always a dream of yours? And, and what about magazines inspired you? Um, I had I went to study fashion design, and ah. um, I was. We were doing a parade, and one of the fashion editors of Clio magazine happened to be there, and she asked if I would join Clio as her assistant. So mm-hmm. they deferred me for the year and said it would be great experience to know how to get you know your designs into magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, went there and just fell in love with it, and never went back. So I still sometimes see bolts of fabric and salivate. <laughs> But it's um, wow. it's kept me really interested in in fashion always, and I think yeah, fashion has always kind of informed interiors for me. And so, where was that first publication? Was that in England? No, Clio magazine here. Oh, here in Australia. Okay, so. So yes, I went to Sydney College of the Arts. Left there, went to Clio magazine as mm-hmm. a fashion assistant, and then after lugging many bags and taping, you know how you tape under shoes. Yeah. Um, all the women at Clio were incredibly supportive. And yeah, I remember the editor putting me on a cadetship and they would teach me how to write captions. And there were markets. It was like being at school, really. I just mm-hmm. was not allowed behind the curtain where the centerfolds were being screened. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, it was an incredible time. But then they, um, when the editorship of Fashion Editor, and the editorship of Dolly came up. I remember going, I'm going to go and be fashion editor of Dolly. And all the women at Clio said, no, ask for the job as editor. And I was like, I can't do that. And they're like, you're ready for that. Ask for that job. And I was like, no, 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 I can't. And they literally pushed me out the door at work and to go to the interview. And yeah. I did. I sat there and I just it just came out of my mouth. I was like, wow. I don't want the fashion editor's job. I'd like to be editor. <laughs> and what do they say? So I got the job, but I knew nothing about editing. And 
I was so lucky. They, I had a phone on the desk where if I, if I didn't understand anything, I would say, let me think about that. And then I'd call this lady <laughs> called E. Legreen, who was one of the original editors of Dolly. I'd call her and go, I don't know what to do. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a, in, incredible. And we were just, I think, you know, when you're that age, you were just so, you're kind of arrogant at that age. Mm. You're so bold and confident. And on Dolly, I remember that the first cover we did was a Polaroid by a photographer called Chris Mick. I've still got the Polaroid and it was black and white. Wow. Not Dolly at all. And we wanted to run it as the cover and the publisher was saying, no, you can't do that. And I was saying, well, I'll leave if I can't do that. And um, he said, okay, run the cover. And the sales dropped by half. Oh. <laughs> the biggest lesson of my life, and I think that's when I started to learn magazines, you know, and what works. And it was, yeah, training on the ground and um, just the best time. Great team at Dolly. We, a lot of us are still friends. And you build these families, you know, and you mm. don't realize that they're going to be, you know, woven throughout your life. Like it, we all draw on each other at different times for different things. Yeah. Was that in the, what, what period was that? 80s, 90s? 80s. Yeah. I mean, what magazine? They're exciting times, 80s, wasn't it? For magazines, they oh, really were. That yeah. was everything. So exciting. We had no comp. I mean, Dolly was selling like 300,000 copies. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then, wow. yeah, ended up in London. Uh, the editor of Honey Magazine came out one year to Australia and we helped her with locations. I don't know, you'd maybe know her, Josephine Fairley. Sure, UK, maybe. UK. Um, slightly, but slightly then she... earlier generation to me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Not that much earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I'm kidding. Um, so and, you anyway, have done locations. <laughs> she um, put me forward for a job in London. So mm. that I ended up in London. Okay, what was the job? Um, editing another teenage magazine. So that was um, great fun. And then, yeah, made my way back to Australia. Ended up in, back in fashion. Yeah. Interesting you didn't name that magazine in London. Was it a, Was it not a good look magazine? Now. Oh, yeah, no. It was called oh, Look, look now. now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. It was, ended up merging with 19, and I was offered that position. But I was trying to get my own thing up and started for some reason. I just uh-huh. always had this thing that I wanted to do. And through doing that, I met, you know, ended up getting married. Mm-hmm. I'm coming back to Australia and um, editing Follow Me magazine, which I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Then had a child and decided that I wanted to be home with, with Jack at the time. And yeah. I just didn't want to miss out on that, you know. And I think in, you had asked before, like, what what made you transition to books? And it was that, yeah, oh, wanting to work from home and be around my son. Yeah. And that was in Pittwater? Yeah, in Pittwater. Yeah. In Clairville, so, so. Just talk about the 
the pace of magazines because people often talk about that just the um certainly the you know night and day weekends it's just like a huge amount of effort goes into these things right? yeah but i think i think it's because you're actually loving it's more like a hobby isn't i mean it was more like a hobby than work uh, mm. i couldn't wait to get to work you know on a monday I'd usually work, like put all my work out on Sunday night, ready for Monday. But you're that, I think you're in that phase in your life where it's just, you are, you're just going for it, aren't you? You're like yeah. in the zone and you're loving, you're loving it. And it, I mean, who could, who could wish for a job like that? It was just brilliant. And everyone was so supportive. It was a family, um, you know, it wasn't this. It wasn't like a competitive. I think fashion can be very competitive. Yeah. Um, it's more like this nurturing. We're on this on this role, you know. Um, especially with interiors, like you know, when I was working at Real Living, so all the editors of the interior mags were a little bit competitive, but not. You always helped each other. So mm. if you got a house that was appropriate for Belle or for House and Garden, you always shared. Um, mm. You were quietly competitive, but also looking out for each other at the same time, whereas mm. fashion is a bit more brutal. So I really loved the transition to interiors. 2000, I was asked to be the uh, art director for Japanese Vogue in Tokyo. And part of what I needed to do to kind of a bit of a, a learning uh, was to go to America, go to New York, and spend a week on American Vogue with Anna Winter. Oh, my God. I, just, I remember how I just wish I had a video playing the whole time because I really can't remember the detail. Oh. But just, just spending time in, 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 on American Vogue and just watching and listening and seeing how they did things. My what, God, it was incredible. What an experience that would have been. Did you get yeah. Anna? Sorry? Did you meet Anna? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I sat in her. <laughs> she sat in her hard uh, metal chair at her desk. <laughs> the sunglasses on um and i sat there i mean i, I just I, every day i dreaded what to wear i just had no idea <laughs> what to wear i was never really into fashion to be honest yeah yeah unlike unlike you i didn't have any fancy neighbors but um it it it, it was uh yeah pretty intimidating pretty yeah. full-on and yeah. uh you'd have to be a certain type of person to be able to do that day in day out but I do love magazines, you know, it's just incredible. Yeah. Just the creating content and the, yeah, the, the flow, flow. Fonts are all beautiful. And you know, you can get one shoot. So you're doing a number of shoots that month. You get one shoot that is incredible and it inspires the whole team to make the issue mm. incredible. You know, it's that, that one beautiful shoot can just kick off a whole another thing. And just, and the ideas, you know, coming up with the ideas, the fun of those meetings yeah. around the table. Oh, the editorial team, that was yeah. so fun. And I think, I think as an editor, I really think your job is kind of more your nurturing talent, like the, the joy in finding talent and letting it go and then getting these incredible pages. That's exciting. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. How did it compare the the Australian publications to the UK? Australia was um, more. It was a lot freer. UK was all hierarchical, you know. It mm -hmm. had all kind of lists of forms to go through. I, I just, I don't think there was that freedom. Where I think we're a lot more creative. 
in Australia because they're not not as many rules, you know. But then I, in London, I have to tell you, I did send Liz Tilberis. Do you remember her? The editor yeah, yeah. of UK Vogue, and she was on the first editors that just took UK Vogue to a beautiful level. You know, it was a horse on the cover with Helena Christensen. I still have her old issues. And oh my God. I'm asked to go and meet with her just to meet her. And she said, yes, mm. and we had a cup of tea together. And she was so beautiful. And I, I always thought, well, if ever I really become a good editor, I'm going to be like that, you know? Always have the door mm. and um, meet people because you never know, you know, where that talent yeah. somebody is coming. No. No, exactly. So talking about nurturing talent, you, you, you took some time off um, to be with Jack, uh, I guess, in the early years. Yes. And then, and then, and then you got into books after that? Or it all, it, the book started because um, I actually couldn't cook when I got married. I had lived literally on Cocoa Pops. Couldn't cook. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I know. Don't know. I just lived on Cocoa Pops and parties and came back, had Jack. And I couldn't cook, got married, and I remember my hubby going, just fine, just chuck a chicken in the oven. And I'd always phone mum and go, he said chuck a chicken. What's an oven? We chuck a chicken in the oven, what do I do? <laughs> and uh, Oh, my God. Seriously. And then he jokingly kind of said, you guys should do a book, because I was always on the phone to mum. So we did a book called, we, he was like, but you're never going to do it. So like, okay, I'll show you. And in like two weeks, Mum and I did this book called My Mum's Cookbook. And oh, cool. yeah, it's a really beautiful book. All the grandkids have one now, but it's sold, it sold 10,000 copies, which was really uh -huh. good in those days. And then it started people coming to me to publish books. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, so I started, yeah, we did probably about 11 or 12 books. And then there was mm -hmm. one guy, so I ended up having backers. And there was one guy mm -hmm. who wanted to get his book published, and it was called The Blue Day Book. And um, I thought it was a good cash cow. And the backers were like, no, we just want to do these really beautiful books. So I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I always supported the guy who was doing this cash cow book. And the book went on to sell maybe 30 million now copies. Holy cow. <laughs> but, well, did you not, do you not do it? No, they, they didn't do it. Oh, my God. Oh, no, can you believe it? So he, you probably yeah. know Bradley Trevor Greaves is his name. So he did exceptionally mm -hmm. well. Um, but I yeah. ended up going to work with Bradley, and I spent five years with Bradley. So because I had supported him in the beginning, you know, trying to get his book um, mm -hmm. up and running, he was like, oh, please come and work with me. So I had five years there, which were quite extraordinary years, you know. Went to Pixar, did a lot of traveling, found out about the international book market, um, yeah. did all his kind of merchandise extensions, um, had, had great fun. It was really a good time. And then um, Bradley just decided to close the business, took off to Tassie, and that's when I ended up working at Real Living Magazine. Oh, I, I remember calling... ACP at the time and saying I'd like to get back yeah. into magazines and they said oh we'll give you a book to do and I was like oh great book I really missed magazines <laughs> I missed the pace of magazines and yeah. they gave me a book to do and um, it was a compilation of all Cleo's stuff and it was cool I'll have what she's having so, 
Oh. I pulled in a friend who was very witty and we would sit at ACP late at night putting this book together. And while I was there, the editor of House and Garden asked me to go with her to a meeting with the book team because I knew books. While in that meeting, they then said, oh, we're launching this new magazine, We're Living. Well, they hadn't really finished the title. Oh. And so I got involved in that and then got offered that job. So I finally got wow. the magazine. And, wow. yeah, you know, after leaving, when you leave, it's a very, it's very clicky industry. So it's very hard mm. to get back in once you're out of the loop. So how, how long were you at Real Living Magazine for? 11 years at Real Living. Wow, that's a, a long, long time. time. And, yeah. I, that was a great magazine too. So much fun, Vince. Can't tell you. It was so good, you know, the ups and downs. And the publisher there was Phil Scott, who gave me the gig. And I learned so much from that man, honestly. He should have been CEO of ACP. He was just, he was so good. He, um, he taught me, yeah, all about, you know, he used to make me photocopy the covers in black and white to see if you could read the cover yeah. lines. And if you couldn't, he'd make me go back. He could take a cover line you'd gone there with thinking you'd crack this awesome cover line. You'd turn it upside down and you're like, oh, God, makes so much more sense. So just, yeah, really... Yeah really um, taught me a lot. Yeah. Well, that, that, that magazine really shook up the market too, didn't it? Because it traditionally, I guess, who was the competitors with Vogue, Vogue Living, Bell? Bell, yeah, Inside Out, uh, um, yeah. Um, Home View. I think what we did differently was when we first launched Real Living, it was very much she's, she's natural, you know, she's in the kitchen, babes in her arms all very down to earth and then calling her mum for recipes <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah nothing you know all very budget orientated but then yeah. um i always loved fashion you know was always trying to incorporate fashion somehow into our shoot and i was walking mm -hmm. at the board you know when you have all your images up and there was this one shot of this girl in a zimmerman dress sitting on the dining room table and in heels <laughs> which we would never have done mm -hmm. And it just looked beautiful, and I took it up to the publisher and was like, I want this as the cover. And he's like, that is totally off brief. And, you know, we had this huge... Here she goes yeah, again. Yeah, we had this huge brave. And he, <laughs> at the end, he said, that was the best discussion I've ever had with you. And he said, run with it. And if it fails, mm -hmm. we will um, call it a series. You do a little series and that. So I was like, okay. And it went through the roof. And I think the difference was that advertisers wanted to see something aspirational. They wanted to be aspirational, mm. not, you know, down to earth. Like we all love to dream. So then, yeah, real thing went yeah. on this beautiful moment of, you know, fashionable images and incorporating, you know, little Kate Moss vibes or just incorporating all of that into the interiors. And I think it gave it an energy, you know. Gave it a little. Yeah. And it made all of us so happy because we were finally, we had turned this, you know, what started as a bit of an ugly duckling into into something that we were really proud of. Fantastic. I mean, it must have been, why did you leave then? What, what happened on year 11? I didn't want to leave. I, um, the Jerry Reynolds was publisher towards the end. When he left ACP, he called me and said, Come and fly a kite were his words, and <laughs> I can't say no, no, but it just kept playing with me. You know, he 
he was such a charmer. And eventually I decided to take the leap. I thought, God, I've been there so long. And you know that old saying, when something's, you know, at a good point, you should leave. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, do it. Interesting. It, and, and so have you always been, I guess, kind of wondering, it sounds like a natural progression from your, your fascination with your neighbors back in South Africa, uh, interiors, etc. It makes total sense you end up in, in a, like interiors magazine. Yeah, no, it does not. I, at the time, I hadn't, like interiors weren't in my head at all, you know. Yes, I loved them and I would buy buy those mags, you know, those living and AD and all those, but it was always fashion. Mm. And I just, you know, I took that job to get back into magazines. Yeah. Yeah, and, and absolutely loving it. And how did you make it work raising your son as well um, and, you know, having a successful career like that? I was I was really lucky with mum. Mum was so supportive. Um and also, like, when Jack was first born, we, we did the books at home. And then when I did BTG Studios, I didn't take the job unless they'd let me leave at 3 o'clock to pick him up from school. Mm-hmm. So I'd pick him up from school and usually a crowd of friends, and it was always, you know, shh in the car because I was always still kind of at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had always had these long drives to and from school and work and um, lots Lots went on in the car, lots of creativity in the car on those journeys. And then when he got older and could get the bus, my mum would always be at home so that he wasn't. She always said she couldn't be a latchdoor kid, so she'd always be there with some little treats. So, yeah, supportive supportive family. Incredible you had that support. Yeah, so lucky. You worked on David Jones magazine, which we... Yes, uh, you came to see me. Australia's largest <laughs> department store, which is now um, owned by Woolworths South Africa. Yeah. Um, and you were the founding editor. And no. Chief. It was, oh, you were? Yeah, it was an exciting. Oh, you were? Yes, yeah. Um, it was great fun. I loved, you know, I loved launching magazines, actually. I loved starting from scratch. Um, and David Jones were really lovely to work with. I. I was nervous working with them and because it was that kind of an ad world as well, I'd never experienced that. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they were, they were fantastic. Surprisingly, you know, they were like, go for it. I mean, toward, towards the end, it became the marketing teams kept changing. So I think I went mm-hmm. through three or four marketing teams in two years. Mm. And one particular marketing team had come on board where they were quite, catalogy orientated so you always had to convince them why Jones yeah you know so it just wasn't you ended up not having that that beautiful freedom so that was Jones magazine and Mr. Jones magazine yeah it's funny how I remember you came to see me in our studio in Foster Street and you were and you were all excited with all these like all kinds of references and like oh this sounds interesting because I, I was working previously with in World War South Africa, helping them with building their team in Cape Town. I know. I was um, so excited. Vince, I'd always looked at your work, always admired you. Oh, and I thought when I ran back to the office to go, I have secured, I was so chuffed. And then, you know, um, it didn't happen. But, yeah, I'm still determined to work with you one day. Well, 
But what did what did the guy who was the pub, who was the person you said don't work Jared with him? He's, yeah, what did he say? He's, He's saying no comment. No comment. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, oh, he said okay. Okay, we can't talk about it. Fine, all right. Um, but how did that publication? How did that opportunity come about? Um, that was uh, Jerry contacting oh, okay. we're living, going come fly kite. Oh, okay. Never that, forget okay, those words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what is home for you? Because you're so passionate about people, nurturing. I'm not sure how much how much food you're doing now because you, you said your mom does mostly cooking, but you know, fashion <laughs> interiors, and a certain kind of I guess very real approach to uh, those things. Well, I think I think you. If you need to feel, if you feel loved and safe in a space, you know, it's a shelter. It can be a, it can be anything. It can be a shelter. It can be a palace. It doesn't matter. But I think if people feel comfortable and safe and a beautiful environment, it's home, isn't it? You know. Yeah. I mean, in some way you can just put your feet up. I think it needs to be filled with books and art and stuff to nurture you, even if it's kids' art. It doesn't have to be expensive art. And, the spaces where you can make a mess. And, but I know for you, you also need spaces where you can store that mess because you wouldn't cope with mess. <laughs> me, me personally? You personally, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, no, I get to... stressed about stuff. <laughs> I like stuff, but then I, um, I need, they need to have their place. But yeah. you've written this wonderful book called The Originals, which yeah. is Beach Houses to Fall in Love With. Um, yeah. And that was published by Bauer Books. Um, was that just a couple of years yeah. ago? Yeah, yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. And and I really, it's interesting because I was looking at that book while I was looking for a place like a, a beach place to live or to have yeah. for the family for the weekends. And I saw this book and I was just like, oh my god! It was like, it was just kind of all about traditional like beach yeah. shacks and and the how beautiful they are. And I guess yeah. how rare they're becoming because they're being replaced by modern houses and stuff like that. I know. What, let's t talk about how that came about and, and your passion for those types exactly. of homes. Um, I, well, yeah, no, I've always kind of loved original, unique homes and simple homes. And I just, living in Clairville, there were two beautiful cottages in front of me. One was this little green cottage and... And the other one was this double story, like glass, beautiful glass windows on both levels. I think Popov had lived there at one point. Uh -huh. but, um, I watched them be knocked down. And it was just, I was like, God, I've got to do something. And I remember at Real Living, I was always saying, I'm going to do a book on beach houses. And it took me a uh -huh. while to get there. But yeah, eventually did. I just wanted to inspire people to try and save them, you know, or to to fix them. I know a lot of people think renovating those houses costs more money than it's worth, but it's not. But I think those houses will be worth far more down the line, but not only monetary sense, but just, you know, from a soul point of view. Um, and today, yeah, they just want bigger houses. Developers are getting houses built to boundaries and they're just ignoring nature and you know, they're drawn to the area because it's so charming. It's like the one in front of me had had this beautiful stone driveway to the house. And then, you know, a new concrete driveway was laid, you know, like a massive concrete driveway that took months to build. And it's like then they wonder why they wanted to sell 
you know, a year later. They've kind of taken away what they've fallen in love with. What was it about um, what, how we used to live? Because um, obviously the all the houses in the book you're, that you published are what from they're like bungalows, early. you know, and or they're houses that yeah have been the owners have decided to try and save them, and um, you know I mean I love a contemporary house too, but there's something I think about the proportions of those old houses, like the rooms never quite big enough or they're big or the ceilings are high the verandas are always generous generous and the fireplaces are sometimes too big for the room I, you know I remember trying to recreate that in my window I wanted this massive fireplace and I got this design friend just to give me her opinion she's like no 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 too big but I really regret now not putting in the oversized fireplace it's like it holds the house you know um and I think those houses you know they I don't know, it's kind of there, as another friend said, they're unsuburban. And I'm so tired of the copy, the copycat houses or the formulas. You know, these white houses, we've all got this, they all look the same now. It's like, where's the unique character of the place? And and simplicity, you know, we've, we've kind of built ourselves out. And I think, especially now with COVID and everybody kind of dashing up here to try and buy or dashing out to the bush, it's like everyone's suddenly woken up a little bit and gone, I want to be somewhere really beautiful. You know, it's not all about the money, you know, how big the house can be. And I think, you know, those, no. it's, yeah, your home should be the place where you create memories and bonfires and, you know, all those beautiful things. And I think the houses, have been, their gardens have gone. It's like if I was rolling, I would definitely buy up houses, knock them down and have great gardens. <laughs> it's like, where's nature gone? So the originals was really, I hope to inspire mm. people, you know, with stories. So each homeowner wrote, wrote a letter about their house, basically. No, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful book. I, I was looking through it and just, you just feel, you feel, it feels a bit Bruce Webbery, you know, in terms of the photography and the location and, I guess what when I was reading Peter Stutchbury's um, intro to the book, he did the foreword, um, and talking about kind of early settlers and how people used to come to the countryside, to this area, I guess, as on weekends camping and for fun and for recreation and be with the family and cooking on open fires and stuff like that. And it kind of evolved from that, didn't it? It's kind of simple, simple yeah. living. Kind of a more romantic time, yeah. hey? So it's more of families coming together and, uh, and, and, yeah. and enjoying each other and enjoying those experiences. It was less precious and less refined. Yeah. yeah. And but COVID, don't you think COVID has given us a little sense, a little yeah, taste of that? Because families had come together and started playing board games and yeah, wanting a more a more relaxed kind of life. But I loved how Pete said the houses were built to throw you outside. Whereas now they're built to keep you yeah. inside. Yeah, we're 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 all inside in media rooms and on our phones, and instead of looking out at nature and really enjoying that. Yeah, so, and the houses built so well then, weren't they? Like, you know, they're solid houses. So I think it's that timber thing that comes back to me. You know, from the Nuttings, the houses were built beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get today. Yeah, I mean, some of them were. So I think they're still 
kind of like, I mean, I think it, I think either you or he said in the book that they were kind of glorified tents. Some of them. Oh right, yeah, they started. Yeah, and, the and how they became kind of the the structure was, um, yeah, very it's very kind of I guess natural um, as opposed to how most places are made today. A bit like the batch houses in New Zealand are, yeah. are like that. They're very, they're just so uh, appealing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. See that? That's, yeah, that's it. It's just this um, romantic notion, isn't it? And they're just they're more environmental, more sustainable. You know, just a better better way. I mean, yeah, we all love you know a bit of luxury sometimes, but it's a really you yeah. don't need much. No, really. I've tried not to. Well, let's talk here. about that because I mean, how do you decide what you what do you have? Well, the place was furnished. I left I left everything at Clairvaux, and this place is furnished. So I've had to work with what was here, which I mm -hmm. quite like. It's a nice little challenge, you know. Like it's not the sofa I would pick, but it's like, oh, how can it was bright pink too? It's like, how can I make that better? So. I've enjoyed that and I've really tried not to buy anything other than a chair to work that's, you know, good for my back. <laughs> mm. you, you, you seem a very kind of optimistic person and very kind of adaptable to situations. Yeah. Have you always been like that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Always, mm. yeah, positive about things. Always excited about things. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah. And and making the most of, of where you live. You're always going for walks and for swims and you're really enjoying that. Yeah, I feel I feel really grateful to be here, you know. I've always wanted to try living across the water and I think I mentioned Luella, a friend of mine, Luella Tucky, and I used to come over in her. She had a little boat which gave us access over here. So we'd constantly mm -hmm. come over here and look at houses and it was just a dream. I was like, God, I really want to live over here. And then an agent said to me that I should try renting first because I think mm -hmm. he got sick of me asking him to take him across to look at houses. So, <laughs> yeah. he was, I can't he, imagine how annoying that might be. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I was like, oh, there's a house and they can't say no. So they're like, oh, I'll meet you on the wall. Oh, God. <laughs> Convince go them, the please. Go, no, this isn't it. <laughs> So yeah, he, yeah he's, I, I jokingly said, find me a boat house on the water, and I'll and I'm in. And he literally called the next day and said, I've got you one. And I knew how wow. hard they were to get. You know, people snapped them yeah. up a minute. So yeah, yeah, the next week I had found tenants, and I was yeah, and Amazing. yeah, just having this beautiful time, loving loving um, going across the bay on the boat. You know, when I need to go across. Yeah. Yeah, I think that just going on the water is beautiful with all your stuff. You know, <laughs> feel like yeah. Explain there. that. I mean, explain that because you, there's no roads there. You if they only can get there yeah, via only, uh, your tinny. Yeah, only water access. So my mm -hmm. son bought me a little tinny. My son and his girlfriend bought me a tinny for Christmas that leaks, mm -hmm. which is hilarious. Yeah. But um, the community here is amazing. So they all kind of rallied to fix the tinny. And yeah, yeah, finally got her up and going, and yeah, life changer. So you pack everything into the tinny and head across, and there's a it's called the commuter wharf, and you tie up there, and 
off you go for the day, but it's just, it's a beautiful way to start and end the day, you know, coming across the water yeah. if the weather's, if the weather's yeah. good. Um, I haven't got brave enough for night driving yet, but <laughs> we'll soon. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're editing a series of books and magazines from there, yeah. right? And that's another cool thing today with technology. You can sit there looking out on the, on the pier oh, and be working in working around the world, right? Yes, I've been working with a German company called Funke Media. And, yeah, having Zoom chats with them constantly over there, it's bizarre. <laughs> and I'm, I'm more yeah. removed, more remote, and more work, which is weird. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's great. We're working on a, a few magazine book series. So what you would call them, mooks, mooks, mooks. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, but, but yeah, really, really enjoying that process and um, working on some interiors as well, as I mentioned to you, which just kind of fell into my lap and um, there wasn't any intention to go into that space. Um, but a friend asked me to help on her interior in the state and because she had seen Clairvaux. So that's a big project she's building two houses huge renos and in through working with her architect who's here in australia he uh -huh. we've been getting on so well so then he has passed on more work that we can work together on so house is on beach cool. and that that's a joy i'm going to enjoy that one the one in in the states is hard just sourcing from over here you know, not being able to go and feel it and touch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What What makes a good home for you? Um, probably family. Mm -hmm. You know, being being with your family and yeah, keeping it keeping it really simple. Um, I don't know. I think the more virtual everything becomes, the more the home is so important. You know, having a Mm -hmm. Our little nooks and spaces in the home and books and music. Music's really important in a home, I think. I was going to say, you, you've got a playlist to go with the book um, <laughs> or it's called The Shack, which is unbelievable. I play that all the time. Oh, thanks, Vince. It's good. It's growing, isn't it? There? I wouldn't call it. It's not like a short playlist. <laughs> no, like it's hours and hours, but it just yeah. put it on and it's like, wow, I could listen the whole day. Oh, Thanks for my more. I love the music that you sent through. Beautiful. Cool. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. music and books and, you know, surrounding yourself with all your things that you love, you know. I'm not into clutter and I'm a bit of a bowerbird, mm -hmm. but I think making a space personal is really important to how you feel. You know, you can walk into a place and you know when it's right. You just know you feel right in a space. What is that though? You say you know it feels right, but what is it that feels right? How come these these beach houses, these shacks that in the book, the originals, I mean, they're, they're quite eclectic, aren't they? They're other people's, I guess, memories and lives. But what what is it about that that yeah. like some people's houses they have a whole I bunch of stuff. It looks like a you know a junk shop. <laughs> but how come these houses yeah. just have I, that something about them? I was going to say, I think. Yeah, I think, you you know, your placement of furniture and flow in a place is really important and curating things, you know. So you can have clutter, but you kind of 
gather it together in a, a beautiful way. And, you know, I remember in real living days, you know, having to do talks at Domain store and people would be queuing up going, well, what do I do, this cushion or that? And it's like the simplest way I can say to somebody to make the place feel okay is to pick a minimal amount of colors and just repeat them. Like if someone doesn't know how to decorate, just do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll feel like it yeah. flows, you know. But otherwise, I think I think it's really good to have some beautiful design. Don't buy junk, and have beautiful design pieces. Even if you can only afford one, it's like putting a good shoe with a, you know, a more affordable yeah. pair of jeans. Like have one beautiful piece, and then you know, less of the other yeah. stuff around it. That doesn't will have to be expensive, but I think do try, do try and rather buy good and don't buy stuff. As interim stuff rather wait so if you can only have two dining room chairs because they're 500 bucks then yeah, wait yeah. you know don't stuff you're going to throw out rather go to Vinnie's like I'm a big um, fan of Vinnie's mm-hmm. and Salvo's the Salvo's in Mona Vale is, is unbelievable really? just don't keep tell it, everybody yeah go, do a drive by <laughs> well you just you've got to you build your relationship with the person oh. in the store so you know when stuff comes in. We've got the other dining chair for you. <laughs> but, um, now we've got three. Five years later. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm going to buy you something and not tell you it's oh, from Okay, Vinny. great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, all right, cool. Yeah. And um, how do you make your mind up about, you know, the finishes and the furnishings? I mean, I, I think you touched on that a bit, but... I think that, like, when, when, when you look at property developments, like a lot of new properties, look at Domain Magazine, I mean, the way that they furnish them today is all very minimal, very clean, it's very beige, very kind of Italian. Wow. It's yeah. lacking the personality of, yeah. of what a, a, you know, a person could bring to it. Yeah. Um, I think it's because they're following trends. I'd say do not follow mm-hmm. the trends. Seriously, you've got to rebel that. You know, and and do the opposite of, of what everybody's doing. It's the same in, in books and magazines, isn't it? Like, you know, you've got to really try and do something different. Mm. So, yeah, with materials, it's like avoid avoid what everyone else is using. Yeah. And does it does the house I know you're obviously in the beginning of a project like a house or a home or a magazine yeah. or a book. The beginning is very exciting, isn't it? And bringing oh that my to God, life and, and so doing good. that. How long does that energy? How long does that energy kind of stay with you once it's done? Like a home, for example. I well, I'm a home. I I don't know. My home stayed with me a long time. I don't know how I'll feel about these homes. Maybe you get attached, you know. But I know with magazines, when you've done an issue, you've done it. It was next, <laughs> mm. and I really I realized doing the mood boards for these houses god i was a happy space doing them and i was thinking oh i'm doing print here <laughs> that's, that's why yeah so i was in such a good i was like this feels like print doing the mood boards you're curating mm. you're just you know pulling together yummy things and yeah creating you know beautiful feel but i just i think yeah good design doesn't age you know, and you want to pick materials that aren't on trend and, you know, materials that maybe will develop a patina, you know, over time. 
So if you're going to go for the marble, I hate the way everyone tries to keep it pristine. Mm. It's like, just let it be marble. Like, you know, that's part of the history of it. So I was talking about that yesterday because um, the lady was wanting, you know, marble kitchen. I said, well, just be prepared for it to, you know, be ruined and it can get chipped. So have it rounded, like, you know, think to the yeah, old European time. Don't do the fashion marble of today. Mm. That's good advice. Yeah. I mean, kind of talk about the imperfections in a home. Like, it's just, it's stressful trying to have a perfect home, isn't it? Yeah, but why why would you? Like, I love it to look like it works, but it's been thrown together, but it's work, you know? Mm. I can't think of anything worse than more contrived or set up perfectly. It's like it's got to look lived in, you yeah. know? And I suppose, yeah, the imperfections, it's like, moving in here with furniture that I actually don't like. And it's like, okay, well, how can I make it look okay? Mm-hmm. You know, and rather than racing out and, you know, buying a whole lot of new stuff. I mean, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's like how can you update it, basically, in a mm-hmm. simple way? And I think that, you know, it can be adding that one designer piece to a room that's not great and suddenly it sings a little bit. And arch the wall, personalizing it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that often, I guess, if people, when I was younger and I was moving, because I have moved a lot in my life, I would go and go to Ikea and have an instant house. I'd find instant content you know, yeah. within, within a day, <laughs> shopping for a couple of hours, and then, you know, they'd get delivered the next day or whatever, and you'd have yeah. All, yeah. everything you needed, brand new from yeah. Ikea in your house. And it's like, well, clean and new. Yeah, which kind of feels like fulfilling because you've done it, but yeah. then there's no room. There's no room for, you know, finding things along the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, but the good thing about IKEA, at least it's designed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of designer furniture. You yeah. know, I remember when Elsa Corp had designed the cork furniture; it just was sold in a flash. And I wish, like, that was from IKEA, but that is a classic piece of furniture. Mm. That was never her cork will never date. <laughs> no. Always be cool. Yeah, I mean, I find just talk about interior magazines again because I love them and I and I do still buy a whole bunch and um, I sit there looking through magazines and I go, oh my god! Like sometimes, sometimes it makes you feel quite dissatisfied. You see, you see beautiful places and you go, oh my god, I love to live like that. Dissatisfied. Um, and well, it, it's a sort, it's a form of advertising, isn't it? Really, I mean, it's like you're you're creating these kind of such yeah. desirable pages and and interiors and opening the door into people's homes and their lives, and you go, oh my God, is that how everyone lives? Yeah, I, I don't think I've looked on it like that. I've kind of looked on it more from a working point of view, you know, and been inspired from it from a work point of view, mm-hmm. but never I need to live like that. Yeah, because sometimes sometimes you look at them and you go, are they doing it for themselves or how they want to live, or are they doing it oh, how they yeah. want, want people to see? Is it for others yeah. or is it for them? Yeah, that's a really good point. Since hadn't thought of that. Yeah, the the show. I think a lot of people. There's a lot of pressure on people. Yeah, to present a certain way, mm. and not. Yeah, I mean we all got to tidy up, and that when people are coming over, but mm-hmm. it's yeah, some people it's not really not really them. I agree. That's why I say, you you know, 
but uh, your stuff on the walls, like whether it's a tear sheet or anything, like something you love, make it your own. Mm. Mm. And mm. how's the book done? It's done really well. We did another reprint. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've been very, very happy. And of course, I haven't even mentioned, you know, Felix Forrest and Sharon Cairns who worked on it so beautifully and Andrea. But, yeah, it's, it's, everybody is happy. I'd love to do another one, but not at the moment, but still begging them to let me do number two. <laughs> begging okay. for the second. But are you doing a TV series on the back of it? Um, we're doing, well, we're doing a pilot, so it's not a pilot. series yet, but it's okay. a pilot. Um, um, been, I'm so excited. I'm working with a guy called Jeffrey Darling, who I've mm-hmm. always had, you know, always been in awe of. Um, but he's just recently got two films up and running, so I might be on the back burner a little bit for now. But he Uh-oh. says he says no, but I know that they will take priority. Um, Come on, just, darling, you can do yeah, more than that. I'm just excited to be, you know, <laughs> in his vicinity working on something like this. Yeah. So we've apparently got a week of filming still to do, and then the pilot will be ready. I think it could be a great show. Really I know, I know. I was so thrilled he was keen. We've talked cool. about something like this for, for a long time, but then the book came along and he's like, hey, do it about the book. So I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, question I ask every guest at the end, if I remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is, <laughs> have you designed your life? Um, I would say no. I haven't designed my life. Damn I you. think. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I, meant to say. I think life just happens to you, and you can try and maneuver that sometimes. You know, when you think you have it designed, you get a gorgeous curveball. <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. I mean, I think right now, like, I think I designed being over here, you know, mm-hmm. with a purposeful leap. But in general, no, I think life happens and you can't really control it 100%. Yeah. Have you designed your life? <laughs> um, I think I've, I've, I've been, I've, yes, I have. Um, by no means is it perfect at all, but it's definitely, I feel like, you know, by being proactively aware of where I want to go or do yeah. or, you know, things in my life that aren't working, I can design a way through it. Uh, as opposed yeah. to, yes, life does just happen uh, every day. Yeah. But if you have a kind of a broader, longer distance goal of what yeah. you're trying to do, achieve, then it definitely helps. I definitely feel it helps me yeah. um, to understand, you know, to put everything into some kind of sense and kind of uh, purpose and, and a time frame. And, and it makes it helps me make sense of every day moving towards yeah. that. So yeah. I, I definitely think it's helped me enormously to um, design bad things out of my life and designing good things into my life. That's what we need to interview then. I think someone should do you for the podcast. Luca. Step in now, Luca. (laughs) I think think it would be amazing to hear you answering all these questions. All right. Well, we'll do that. Deborah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been such a pleasure to catch up with you. I loved it. Love chatting. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. I'll see you, I'll see you on the water. Okay. See you there. Bye. <laughs>
Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life from Lego to Skyscrapers with Deborah Bibby. Tune in next week where I'll be catching up with the prolific British designer Tom Dixon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.